Welcome to NoSpinHomilies.com. I invite you to join me to reflect upon the homilies of Father Dan. Father Dan will challenge us to open our heart, mind, and soul to the Word of God. Father Dan will draw upon sacred scripture along with art, literature, and the lives of the saints to help us grow in our love and knowledge of the scripture. In doing so, we can become the living Word of God in this world. Now it is my pleasure to present to you No Spin Homilies. The gospel for this weekend is very relative to us as we are caught up in our practical lives. For the past two weeks, we heard how the apostles had these extraordinary spiritual experiences, seeing and talking with the risen Lord. It was life-changing experiences for them, at least we presumed. But now, in the gospel for this weekend, we hear that the apostles might have gone right back to square one back to their old lives, the lives that they had before they met and knew Jesus Christ. The first clue is where they are. It says they are at the Sea of Tiberias, which is Galilee. The apostles are back home in Galilee. They're no longer in Jerusalem. Jerusalem, realize, is the spiritual hotbed. In Jerusalem, people are seeing the resurrected Christ, but the apostles are not there. Worse yet, It appears that they're going back to their old jobs, their old way of life. Peter and the rest of the apostles are reestablishing, you could say, their careers as fishermen. Now, it appears that the mission is over with. The apostles are not out evangelizing, preaching the resurrected Christ. In fact, they returned home and they returned to their old way of life. And so, how could this happen? Well, maybe this has happened to us in our lifetime. Maybe we've had an incredible spiritual experience. We've heard a powerful homily. We went to a great retreat. Or maybe we went to a great conference, the Men of Christ Conference or the Women of Christ Conference. We feel charged, spiritually charged up, so much so that we want to commit and change our lives for the better. But after a few days, maybe after a week, that spiritual intensity dies down. And we go back to our old way of life. Well, it appears the same thing is taking place with the apostles. The apostles seem flat in this weekend's gospel. Where was that life when they saw the risen Christ? Remember just last week, Jesus appeared to the apostles behind locked doors. It said the apostles rejoiced when they saw the Lord. More to it, and the story ends with Thomas making that profound statement of faith my Lord and my God. And so what happened to that spiritual intensity of the apostles? Well, the story continues. It says they fished all night but caught nothing. And at dawn, Jesus appeared on the shore. Dawn. It's the rising of the sun. And Jesus is now standing there on the shore. Symbolically speaking, Jesus is the rising sun that illuminates our lives and brightens us up. Jesus says to the apostles, Cast the net over the right side of the boat, and you'll find something. So they cast it, and were not able to pull it in because of the large number of fish. Here's the first lesson we can take from this. When the risen Lord enters our life, he elevates all aspects of our life. Even the most ordinary and mundane aspects of our life, he makes them meaningful. 
Just look at the apostles. They're fishing. How many times have they fished throughout their entire life? Maybe hundreds of times? And yet, he takes that mundane aspect, fishing, and he brings meaning to it. He performs a miracle. The apostles catch a number of fish that is beyond imagination. What does this mean for us? Well, our lives consist of what? Our family, our work, activities. When we bring all these things to Jesus, Jesus elevates them, and they become more meaningful. They become a source of joy for us all. Now, next in the story, John is the first to recognize that Jesus is on the shore. Another lesson we can take from this, when Jesus enters our life, and when our lives are elevated by his presence, it's easy for us to identify him. It's easy for us to see God's presence operative in our life. And so the story continues. When Peter heard that it was the Lord, he tucked in his garment, for he was lightly clad, and jumped into the sea. Now this is a very odd detail that Luke includes. I don't know about you, but many of us, when we go swimming, we take our clothes off and then we put a swimming suit on. But what does Peter do? Just the opposite. He puts on all of his clothes, he tucks them in, and then he jumps into the water and swims to shore. Now that is very peculiar. Now the Greek word that is used to describe Peter as being lightly clad is gymnos, which means naked. Where else do we see in the Bible People that are naked and are embarrassed when they're in the presence of God. Well, Adam and Eve. Before the fall of grace, it says, Adam and Eve walked in easy fellowship with God in the cool evening of the garden. Adam and Eve stood before God without any shame whatsoever. It was symbolic of their complete innocence. And yet, after they sinned, the first thing they realized, that they were naked. And their first instinct was to cover themselves to cover their sin. That's why they hid from God after they ate the forbidden fruit. There's that classic story. God comes to the garden and he says to Adam and Eve, where are you? And then he asks them, why are you hiding from me? And in doing so, he knows what Adam and Eve did. Well, the same thing holds true with Peter. Peter sees God. And his first instinct, like Adam, is to cover himself or cover his sin. That's why he puts all of his clothes on. Peter's ashamed at what he has done. At the moment of truth, when Jesus needed Peter the most, Peter denied Jesus. In fact, not just once, but three times. Now here lies a great spiritual truth for us all. If we truly let Jesus into our life, he will illuminate our lives such that We are more aware of our sinfulness. Now, is that bad? No, I think that's very good. And we shouldn't be embarrassed. Instead, I would argue we should celebrate with great joy because it's a significant sign that Jesus is now more operative in our life than ever before. Next, in the story, the rest of the apostles make it to shore and Jesus gathers them around him. That is a beautiful portrait of our church. Jesus gathering his apostles around him, and then they share a meal that Jesus himself has prepared. Where else have we seen this happen before? At the Last Supper. At the Last Supper, Jesus does the exact same thing. He gathers his apostles around him, and then they share a meal 
that Jesus specifically prepared himself. Friends, this is precisely what happens every time we gather for Mass. Every time we gather for Mass, Jesus gathers us around him, and he prepares a special meal, a sacred meal, that he himself prepared, his body and his blood, to specifically share with us. And when we eat that meal, and every time we eat that meal, we share in his life. Next is that engagement between Jesus and Peter. Before we tackle this, we have to understand Christianity is not a philosophy whereby we subscribe to certain ideas or principles. Instead, Christianity is about a relationship to a person. Jesus, God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit. This is why Jesus asks Peter, point blank, do you love me? He doesn't ask Peter, you know, do you subscribe to my teaching or do you agree with my way of life? No. The question is about the quality of Peter's love for Jesus. And Peter's first response is yes. And Jesus says what? Feed my lambs. It's a test of Peter's love for Jesus. And so it begs the question, what does Jesus do for us? He gave his life for us. We must do the same. We must give our lives in service to Christ and others in this world. That's the test of the quality of our love for Christ. How do we do that? Through stewardship, we share our prosperity, our prayers, our talent to build up our parishes, our faith communities. Now notice in this exchange between Jesus and Peter, Jesus asks the same question three times. In the end, Peter seems hurt. What is Jesus really doing? Jesus knows that Peter is trying to hide his sin of denial. Jesus is leading Peter through a process of repentance to be forgiven. Peter denied Jesus three times. Now in the exchange, Peter will reaffirm his love for Jesus. In this process of reconciliation, Jesus takes the sin and he turns it into love. And see, that's exactly what Jesus does for us. He comes into our life He sees our sins, and we too, because Jesus illuminates our lives, we want to be forgiven. And Jesus will do that. He engages that same process with us as he did for Peter. He takes our sins and he turns them into love for Christ. One last thing to think about. A true test of our love for God is that we are sent on mission. Jesus says what to Peter? When you were young, you used to dress yourself and go wherever you wanted. But now that you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and will lead you where you do not want to go. This is what Jesus does when he enters our life. If he is truly the center of our life, we no longer are in charge. We have to surrender to the power that is beyond ourself, the power of Jesus. And in doing so, like the apostles, we are able to do things we never thought possible. Say, for example, you volunteer to be a catechist. You pass on the faith to our children, which is arguably one of the most important ministries of our church. And if you talk to catechists, they'll say, they get more out of it than they put into it. Or maybe you volunteer to visit shut-ins, people in nursing homes or hospitals. Now, they are complete strangers, and yet you talk to them, And in doing so, you give them comfort to people that are lonely, and you distribute communion to them. 
And in doing so, those shut-ins feel that somebody cares for them. And yet the key is to surrender. Surrender to the power of God so that God can turn our sin into love. And then we share that love in service to God and others in this world. And may the grace and the peace of Jesus Christ rest upon you always.